0: This week on A Lively Experiment, a grand jury takes a look at a mailer that boosted Speaker Mattiello's campaign in 2016. And the House Minority Leader calls for an independent study in the IGT Twin River Lottery proposals.
1: A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great
0: program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us this week, political strategist Lisa Pelosi, Patrick Anderson, State House reporter for the Providence Journal, and Bob Walsh, executive director for the National Education Association of Rhode Island. Hello everyone and welcome to A Lively Experiment. It's good to have you with us this week. Speaker Nicholas Mattiello thought he had put the 2016 election behind him when the Board of Elections gave him a slap on the wrist for campaign finance irregularities a year ago. This week we learned that a grand jury is investigating those irregularities, which involved a GOP rival in Mattiello's house race who endorsed him in a mailer funded by two of the speaker's supporters. Can you figure that out? I'm having a hard time boiling this down. A lot of us had to go back and refresh our memories, did we not, Lisa?
2: I think we had to do a lot of clicking on the old articles just to get ourselves back up to speed on what happened And we should
0: say, Tim White broke this story and then there's been a lot of follow-up since then.
2: Right, so to commend him, so here we are. And what I had to remember was how close that 2016 election was. And if we remember that election night, that the speaker was claiming victory, even though he was behind in the overall votes, votes. votes because he knew he had the mail ballots. So we knew that that was a very close race. So to have this come forward, it just appears that this had been lingering in the former AG's attorney general's office. And now with our new attorney general, it's moving forward. So the question to me is... Did Speaker Mattiello know what was the uh, perceived quid pro quo? We'll move your legislation, Shawna Lawton. If you remember her, she ran uh, on the Republican uh, side, lost the primary. If you come out and endorse the Speaker, and then all of a
0: sudden became the Speaker's biggest fan. That's right. (laughs) In the mailer.
2: That's right. Right.
1: It's certainly not unprecedented for losing primary candidates to not endorse their primary opponent but endorse uh, an opponent from the other party. It's a little more unusual when it's Republican Republican uh, disputes because there aren't that many Republican primaries so the grand jury is looking and further looking into whether uh, Ms. Lawton had any other campaign violations related to this that are actionable under the law other than what the Board of Elections already adjudicated. Um, It's also unusual to hear about a grand jury investigation while it's going on, Uh, but uh, our intrepid reporters, our Channel 12, actually interviewed someone who was interviewed by the grand jury and chose to talk about it, so the rest of the story is out there early. We don't know where this is going or what it's about, now, John Marion actually accidentally has asked some interesting questions that are independent of what the grand jury. His contention in the media seems to be that candidates are responsible for everything that goes on in their campaign. That's not entirely true. Independent expenditures, which I believe this was ultimately characterized as are independent from campaigns. You're allowed to, uh, uh, under the First Amendment, have expenditures uh, as long as you do the appropriate paperwork and filing to support or oppose candidates of your choosing. Now, in the old days, in the Democratic side of things, the day after the primary, the losing Democratic candidate... And I've been there, uh, would come together with a big press conference and, would and we cool would endorse the winners of yeah. the Democratic primary. There's no obligation to do that. There's no violation in doing that. Um, but under the current regulations, uh, a losing candidate, or frankly, any citizen in the state, as long as they file the appropriate paperwork and spend money to, uh, support or oppose anyone. And if you dig through the filings of the Board of Elections, there are individuals who do that every cycle. They'll spend five hundred dollars out of their own pocket to uh, try and influence a race and, you know, that's allowed.
3: But what you can't do is have a campaign uh, fund an independent expenditure and coordinate it. And that's right. what you looked what like you happened you here, cannot where, where Mattyella's campaign, according to what we know from the Board of Elections, reached out and and may have had his donors pay Shaw, or donate to Shawna Lawton specifically to create this mailer. And we don't know is, is whether he was yeah. involved directly at all or well, exactly uh, how Ironically, government. the
1: biggest case uh, involving coordination that was proven there was no coordination, that I was always a little suspicious about, was during one of Governor Kuchiri's elections, where he stopped advertising on television at the exact minute the National Republic, the Republican uh, National Governors Association, started advertising on television, and they said there was no coordination. And sadly, you know, the way—not sadly—the way it works, and I suppose it's sadly as well. The way it works is, you can check into what media buys are. So, if you're trying to help a candidate on the outside without any coordination whatsoever, the National Republican Governors Association could look at the buys
0: because they're all posting and say, "Oh, they stopped buying on this day, so we're going to start." In, in this case, it sets up an interesting dynamic because one, grand juries are not going to be looking at misdemeanors and, and smaller. They're, they're going for the big fish. So Patty Doyle, who is the speaker's spokesperson, says, well, we don't really know anything about that. Well, that may maybe that's maybe they haven't gotten there yet. The interesting thing is Matt Jerzyk and Jeff Britt, who are the political players here. Matt Jerzyk, is, is had his, you know, he's been in politics for years. He's been a player. He's got an interesting decision to make. So let's say they are going after the speaker and they go to him does he take the fall or is in rhode island we say does he rat out the speaker or does he defend him and either way he's in a losing situation because if he rats him out then his business dries up and if he doesn't then he potentially faces maybe perjury down the line. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but if you yeah, say I, I think you're way ahead of going, this. Because this has already up, been adjudicated they, by, the they, by the Board of Elections. Yeah, but the Board of Elections forwarded it, Bob, to the Attorney General. Yeah, they they said we've done as there much there, as we and can. They to that adjudicated, Peter Nerona, When faced with this, as a candidate said he was deeply concerned about
2: this. You know, I've worked on a number of campaigns, and there are times, depending on the level of the campaign that you're working on, that you can have campaign workers go rogue. That they're doing something on their own and oh, the candidate absolutely. running doesn't know about it. But in this specific case, case what's interesting is we're in late October, we're in October of 2016. They know the Mattiello campaign knows that they have a tight race. It's going to be very, very tight. Why would they go forward with this mailer? that had to be that whatever voters that voted for Sean Lawton, even if it's just a handful, 20 or 50 votes, can make a difference here to go forward with this mailer. The point is, did Jeff Britt, because he seems to be the one, really, the intermediary here. Did he go to the speaker? Was the speaker aware of this? Did the speaker sign off on this mailer knowing that there was a quid pro, pro quo that I'll move legislation? Or did Jeff Britt on his own just tell her, you do this for us and I'll get the speaker to move the legislation and for Bob, you? And Bob, they
0: blew off the subpoenas. They did not cut the, the operatives board. did. Yeah. Right. Well, so I think... I think Jeff
1: Rich
3: Jeff blew Ritt off the subpoena. Off the that subpoena. That so that now when the, the state
0: j- grand jury comes knocking, it's a whole different story.
3: Yeah, and where when you look forward and, and look at the next couple of weeks and months and what it means, it's it's the unknown that kind of looms over the state house. Who is going to be subpoenaed next? It, we know that they have asked to talk to and, and have talked to the donors who are at kind of the very base of this uh, of, this series of events, but then and it will probably go up to that next level, the operatives, Britt and Jersey. Does it then go up another level to mattiello 's staff, and then does it does it branch out to anywhere else, and then does it come up to Mattiello itself we don 't know any of that, but the fact that it is an unknown, and the grand jury will be operating uh, in secret or at least mostly will kind of cast a shadow, I think, uh, over some of what happens at the State House and have people looking around and just and wondering what's next.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't see it on this one. I mean, the underlying issue that motivated Ms. Lawton to run for office was she was against vaccinations. There's been no action whatsoever on that issue. It is uh, to, to be polite about it, an extreme outlier issue. Uh, so I, I I don't I just don't see it the same way. I think that the lack of original cooperation by at least one of the operatives is probably what kicked this forward. Um, and but, but we'll see what the grand jury comes up with. But a grand jury is also an investigative
0: that, tool. They no, no, don't have everything in front of them I, immediately. I, I don't. I think it's a little more serious than yeah, your. Yeah. I I,
1: it. I mean I may be wrong, but I don't see. And, and as Lisa said, we both worked on a lot of campaigns over the years you know i i i've been walking through phone banks where you hear two different people saying the same you know same thing oh yeah well you wouldn't want to vote for our opponent because they don't agree with you on that issue i'm thinking yeah but we agree with our opponent on that issue so we're in the you same you want the final word on that? yeah you. and you know i guess
2: what we're also trying to find is a paper trail or even more specific, the text message trail. So we know that Jeff Britt has been trying to squash having certain text messages, messages come forward. So I think that's, we've already seen some that's shown there was some, some coordination going on. What more is out there that the Attorney General will be able to uncover? Okay.
0: Another week, more developments in the IGT Twin River, or Twin River, say Twin River three times quickly, uh, saga, <laughs> we've had problems over the past couple of weeks. Um, Patrick, you're in the middle of it. I thought uh, House Minority Leader Blake Filippi had a great thing that probably I've been thinking. We're not gaming technology experts. You and Kathy are doing a great job. Kathy Gregg up at the State House. he said, let's call for an independent study to get people who really know what's going on. We're a part-time legislature. The staff can only do to- so much. So I-, I know this is something they've been talking about. As you listen to this, is it kind of hard to sift through all of the information in the hearings?
3: Yeah, and I think it, it might be uh, information overload for a lot of folks uh, and, and and what happens is you have both sides making a case uh, uh, the, of why they are right and because it's such a uh, inside in uh, in such a detailed thing this these lottery machinations uh, it's difficult to really analyze it um, Uh, Objectively, but Alan Hassenfeld has proposed uh, funding a study before. So this has kind of been out there, the idea of bringing in an independent consultant. Uh, But what Blake has uh, brought up that's interesting to me is trying to get a sense of what kind of premium. Rhode Island might be paying to have IGT have a headquarters have offices here and keep uh, the 1,000 jobs here and that's a number that is really difficult to isolate uh, with all of the different variables flying back and forth
2: this is Very complicated, and I have been trying to read all the articles that are coming through, all the articles in Providence (coughs) Journal to go through it, and then starting to read some of the supporting information for it. So what we saw with the House and Senate when it came to the Pawtucket Red Sox, you know, they did a very good job in their hearings for, you know, the thoroughness of looking at it. But this, because of the complexities of this contract, and because for me that it's a 20-year contract that we're considering right now, I am in favor of an outside independent group to come in and really sift through it and give us information of what's going on in other states with their contracts too and what makes sense for Rhode Island going forward and
0: while I appreciate mr hassenfeld's uh, offer that's very nice the legislature has a has a has a budget of 50 million dollars which they always come in and say oh we saved three million if they they should fund it really I mean Alan hassenfeld's nice to do that to kind of get the ball rolling but if they're serious about it they should be paying for it
1: yeah this is where having been having a background in finance before my labor Do you understand thing. any of this? Yeah, I understand all us? of it. And this yeah. is uh, just a failure of, of negotiation. Uh, you know, you have to go down to base principles. First, first rule of credit. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So you've got to discard the arguments on both sides. Twin River has gone too far in their contention that they can replicate everything IGT does. It's well outside their area of expertise, and we would not want to get involved in a new player with new technologies. We've already learned how bad we are as a state at doing technology that we already have that exists. IGT you know, corporations are out for their own self-interest, said, hey, we have a good deal, let's try and replicate the deal. The reason 85% of the 4,000 slot machines on the floor of Twin River are uh, IGT is because of the merger. 50% were GTEC, 35% were the predecessor corporation of of IGT.
0: Yeah.
1: Twin River correctly raises the point, hey, that's a big concentration of machines on any particular floor, and because we have a lot of their old machines, they don't make as much money which parentheses means they don't remove money from the pockets of gamblers as quickly as some of the other machines. That's either because people don't play them as long, or they're not as lucrative for each one of the bets. In the same way that a $50 blackjack table is going to make more money for the casino than a $5 blackjack table, but you also have to remember, not everyone can play the $50 uh, gambling table. The same thing goes to the machines. Nonetheless, there's probably a better ratio. This can be solved from negotiation. Uh, on this the same weekend where Aaron uh, Ted Nisi and Tim White are interviewing both Bob Vincent and Mark Crisofulli, the spokesperson and head of operations for each one of the the big players in this, sadly not together, they're back-to-back interviews, I think you're starting to see the glimmer of realization that these two entities who are fighting with each other, who used to work together ironically, need to come together and come together with the governor and put the three parties in the room and negotiate a smart deal for all parties. We do not want to lose IGT headquarters and there are over a thousand jobs. We do not want to uh, not make the revenue we can make from Twin River because $400 million of our budget comes from gambling. Um, How does this settle up business standpoint? I'd say you probably get 70 to 75 percent of the machines on the floor belonging to the IGT with some sort of accelerated replacement option and some sort of over the a 20 year contract looking at things. You don't need an outside entity. The businesses can figure this out. They all want to make money and they want to make us money.
2: But okay, but the thing, it needs to go out to bid. I think we need to see the competing proposals to do it, and when I keep hearing about not losing the thousand jobs, we're saying IGT, if we go with them, they'll stay here, but what happens? if we we go with Twin River instead. Won't there be a thousand jobs that no, we No, st-
1: absolutely there will not be a thousand jobs and they've already started walking back that because it's, you're just not going to get another headquarters. This is just such a frustrating, but then such because, a frustrating thing from a business standpoint. So,
2: but from the number <laughs> of jobs there too, of the thousand people, are we saying that exa- all those thousand workers are going to leave Rhode Island? 30, no,
1: about 900 of them are because they've got empty facilities throughout the country. And
2: 300 of them make less than $50,000.
1: Yeah, those would be the ones that stay. Okay, we'll so then the so we go from a
2: thousand down to 700. So no, no, no,
1: we'll we'll go from a thousand down to 100. They because they don't need anything left other than servicing the research jobs. will go to some facility and in so one place and the much, servicing are, How much jobs. are
3: you willing to pay per job and then, or what are you, uh, what are you willing to offer no, yeah. to IGT to reduce the number right. of slot Here's machines because everyone yeah. believes yeah. that's where this is going, that they no, will have I, to reduce, yeah, reduce the number. Change the ratio. You can increase it, the number. River has said the that if it was just half of the slot machines, that they wouldn't have objected to the whole thing. So that right. is so the right. focus of this, of so, this there's, back so there's an underlying
1: point. We're neg- so we now know each party's opening position in negotiations. IGT, 85%. Twin River, 50%. So the answer is going to be somewhere between the two, and we can do this without a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is why the Paw Socks aren't here. Once we opened up the bid, Worcester came in and stole them. We are not often competitive, and we are slow in coming to the table on these things and we lose businesses
0: because so you and you guys have written about what where does it go from here you've had the house you've had the senate and you know what is how does this play out in the session that's the really crystal ball question right with all of this where do we go going into the two thousand twenty session
3: well it'll it'll depend on what happens probably behind closed doors and whether there can be an agreement um, on changing what's on the table now so that the different sides, so that IGT will accept less machines. That looks like where this is headed, um, but we're not gonna know until that deal is done whether there can be a deal struck. But that that's probably the direction, and I don't think there's going to be any votes this year, that would be my expectation, but. I don't know how long, the question is, if they go into next year, how long do they want to string this out? Do they want to move uh, into the spring into what is an election year. Or do you want to do issue, it like the truck tolls and
0: get it done early in the session so then you right. can concentrate? Well, it, it's going to depend
1: on the external players. If they sit down and figure it out and come with the united front, this thing can be wrapped up fairly rapidly to the benefit of all. all and right. By the way, it can. Just I've, I've got friends <laughs> are lobbying on both sides because I've hired every lobbyist in the state, so I have friends on all sides. All right, side. folks, I have no Bob is channeling his inner
0: Frank Williams. He wants to be the mediator. Right? <laughs> I just all here. right so yes, if you're I watching the, I there you go to be the media. all <laughs> right we've got a couple other things to get to uh, Dan McGowan with the Boston Globe for, formerly of channel 12 had an interesting article about we've talked about the Rhode Island promise many times on this show that they have tripled the graduation rate for two-year graduations to 19%. 19 percent <laughs> maybe I was under a rock six percent I guess is and that's like near the national average it's stunning so, I know how you feel about the promise, but...
2: Uh, and I haven't changed. Okay. So, the two things that have bothered me from the beginning on this is, one, that we haven't means tested the ability of the students who are going to CCRI. And what his article also did was show about half of the students in the, in the cohort did not qualify for the federal um, Pell Grant, which means that their family had the means to send them to CCRI but instead they got their full tuition paid by the state. I think that's wrong so if we're looking at spending seven million dollars on this program we could cut it in half if we means tested it going forward and I think that's something that should be done. Um, The other thing has been the impact on the Rhode Island College. We know that students who could choose to go to Rhode Island College are choosing to go to CCRI smartly to pay for their two years free those are the students who are graduating. They're, they would have been graduating if they went to Rhode Island College. So I think they've helped raise that graduation rate right there.
0: And there's been an argument, put it in K-12. through 12, If We certainly have enough issues with that. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I like the promise. I think that it needs to be
1: expanded to include Rhode Island College and University of Rhode Island. I think that there's a way to incentivize... Uh, the first two years to make sure people can afford uh, the second two years if they get through CCRI to make sure they can go and complete their degrees at Rhode Island College or URI. I think a two-year graduation rate for community colleges is a bit disingenuous. A lot of these folks are still working, raising families, doing other things, or sadly, dealing with remedial education issues at the beginning of their college career. So 6% to 19% is a good start. Understanding that a lot of folks go through community college on a lot slower track than two years, I think that has to be accounted Uh, for when we look at this. It is different from when we were in school where you would go and you do your four years if you were going to a four-year experience and getting out. I think it's making a subset of kids who wouldn't even thought about trying college, at least trying college. Some of those folks will cycle back in years later. They just realize they're not ready then, but at least they've got the experience that it's a thing that is possible in their futures. So I, I think it's I think it's a well-intended program. I realize there's been an impact, a negative impact, on Johnson and Wales, on New England Tech, on Rhode Island College in the first two years, and we have to account for that. We're not, you know, the purpose of the program isn't to hurt other existing uh, entities, but there's a way to take the idea and make it more meaningful and productive. I want, you know, I want kids to go to college if they choose to go. to And of college.
0: course, the governor tried to expand it last year. That hit the chopping block because of the. And I, so, what are the what are the financial Picture look like they still have outlined deficits, right? So this is going to be yeah. Another it's going to be a, a similar picture.
3: I would, it's going to be a similar picture next year. I would I would expect that the governor will do the same thing and will propose expanding it again. The the actual particulars uh, may be a question, uh, but it's going to be a, the same dynamic of the state uh, facing deficits going into next year. Um, but I don't know that she has anything else to really uh, compete with that. That is probably going to be her top priority the one thing that she's pushing for and uh and i and i think the the harm that is perceived to have happened to rick that kind of plays into the argument for expanding it to rick and she might open that up and use that argument this time around to try to get it into rick where she's tried to get it before
0: all right
1: let's uh let's do outrageous then we have a few other things bob what do you have this week uh, there are so many things. Uh, let me talk a little bit about the, uh, the Rhode Island Cooperative, which is uh, often characterized in the press as Matt Brown's group, but that's the not fair because they're a political, the Rhode Island Political Cooperative. Uh, I did an interview with uh, Ed Fitzpatrick, and uh, the, the party left out of the article, I said, if I was the Democratic Party, I wouldn't have even responded to it. But just, uh, it's as much free advice as outrage. If you're going to announce your candidacy, early on, and I listen, Bill Bartholomew did a great podcast with Matt and two of the candidates. I commend to all of you to listen to. You have to be prepared to talk about issues and why you're running. You have to be prepared to talk about why you're running uh, against whatever candidate you've chosen to declare uh, against. And you actually have to be prepared to articulate the reason why you've chosen that particular race. If you come to me in my day job at the NEA, and you're running against uh, Senator Lynch Prada, I'm going to say I think she's terrific, and why would I want to oppose her? If you come to me wearing my progressive issue hat and say, "Well, I'm a progressive. I'm going to run against Senator Erin Lynch protter why? She was, she led the charge, and the reason Roe v. Wade is codified is, is, it was a collective effort, but it, she was a critical part of it. It made no sense, and. We've got all these candidates uh, running around the state. And just look at yesterday's results in the Providence Board run race. They all collectively worked on the candidate who came in fourth with uh, 100 votes. Probably a, partic- probably a great candidate at some other time. Pick your races, pick your issues, be prepared, and maybe everybody doesn't have to run the first time out. All right. Lisa, what do you
2: have? Uh, so I don't know if this was going to be a kudos or an outrage. So I was watching um, this as it uh, transpired over the past few weeks. And I know West Bay politics a little bit better than... East Bay, but I've been taking a look at what's been going on in Tiverton. (laughs) There was a recall um, election there. And what's interesting about this is they had the election last November. And then in April, um, there were 18 people who ran for this town council. The one who came in last started a petition to recall two of the members of the town council in Tiverton. This moved forward, they got the signatures to do it, and then last night was the election and the results came in and the voters came out and they removed the two.
1: Overwhelmingly.
2: Overwhelmingly. Yeah, 90 they plus
1: vo- percent of the vote to
2: remove them. To do <laughs> what, what they needed to do, but the point being in here it was they have about 13,000 registered voters in Tiverton and about what, 12, 14 percent came right. out. So the minority of voters were able to come out and change the results of an election that happened last November. It, that, so,
1: that election had rules, though. You needed at least 40% of the folks who voted in the prior election to participate there were no and opposing went well Because anyone
3: it. who was going to vote against yeah, well, the recall didn't show up. Yeah, you
1: know? the, yeah, the tactic of the folks who got recalled was, please don't vote. Don't participate in democracy at all. Uh, and, it, and it had a double threshold. You needed 55 percent of the people voting for the recall to be effective, but you needed 40 percent of the total number of voters in the prior election to turn out. And they got like 70, 60 or 70 percent of the folks who voted. So the system
2: seemed to work. Well, you know, you know about 1,500 people came out to vote, and they specifically came to vote those two. Um, Councilman out. So I don't know if this is democracy at its best or its worst. 1,500
1: people on a rainy day on an off cycle election said, We've had enough already. That's pretty good.
2: (laughs) Well.
3: What do you got, Patrick? Well, I'm a basketball fan and I have been watching the uh, Twitter controversy that's (laughs) ballooned into a geopolitical storm uh, about China um, and whether employees of the National Basketball Association uh, in the United States uh, in English on an American social media platform can criticize China or whether Americans who go into a basketball arena in the United States can criticize China. Right now the answer looks like no and the NBA reacted to the tweet, um, a tweet supporting Uh, Hong Kong freedoms. From the GM
0: of the Houston Rockets. Right.
3: With with what appeared to be uh, Chinese Communist Party propaganda, (laughs) the talking points saying, you can't do this, you can't go there. And, you know, it's not an issue that's going to immediately affect a lot of people, except, you know, maybe basketball fans a little. But it raises the question of what other companies are going to do, American companies are going to do business with China because it's a huge market and the, uh, and then have the Chinese uh, demands to be in that market trickle down to American employees. So if you work for a company and they want a piece of the Chinese market, they can monitor your facebook and your Mm -hmm. and your social media account and fire you or tell you to stop if you say something that they don't like it's a little unnerving, and you know I don't know what to do about about watching basketball. <laughs>
0: well, it's four billion dollars at stake, and Adam Silver, we could talk about this for the next half hour, but I, I agree with you. Now, we're, and Apple's a little bit on edge too because of the right. They've that's already banned
1: some other uh, tracking apps, Apple and Google and others. So exactly. it's already
0: happening. I am sorry, that's all the time we have, folks. Thanks for joining us this week, Le- uh, Lisa and Patrick and Bob. Thank you, and the mediator's job. We'll get right on that. And uh, folks, join us back here next week as The Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week.
1: Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm
0: John Hazen White Jr. and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.